When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on talk radio. Good morning. It's Monday the 2nd of November. You're listening to Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. Don't forget you can watch the show live as well as listen. You are streaming on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter right now. Coming up, England's lockdown could extend into the new year with a brief relaxation over the Christmas period. Currently we go into a two, sorry, one-month lockdown uh, on Thursday until the 2nd of December. But if infection rates don't fall, cabinet ministers have said we could be stuck in it for longer. Meanwhile, death scenarios used by the government to justify the second lockdown are out of date and maybe four times too high. It was suggested at Saturday night's press conference that England could see 4,000 daily deaths early next month. But this scenario was drawn up three weeks ago and deaths are now predicted to be 1,000 per day by December. Up next, I'll speak to Carl Hennigan. He's one of the leading voices of sanity in all this. He's Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine at the University of Oxford. And I'll be joined in this hour by two Conservative MPs, one supporting Boris Johnson's decision to lock the country down and one who is opposed. Also, it's been revealed that Prince William contracted COVID-19 in April at a similar time to his father, Prince Charles, and Boris Johnson. And we'll be paying tribute to the original James Bond, Sean Connery, who sadly died over the weekend, aged 90. And we'll have more on the US election tomorrow, of course. Uh, Eight minutes past eight is the time. This is Talk Radio. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio. Good morning, Chief. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley-Brewer. Andre Walker is joining me. He's a columnist at the New York Observer. We'll get his thoughts on my next guest. I am absolutely thrilled uh, to actually be speaking to my next guest. He has been one of the leading voices uh, calling out uh, questionable evidence put forward for various government policies and uh, and uh, opposition policies over the recent months since uh, we were struck by COVID. And he's also one of the key signatories to the Great Barrington Declaration, calling for an alternative way of dealing with the coronavirus pandemic other than lockdown. After lockdown, we're delighted to welcome Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford University, Carl Hennigan, to the show. Good morning, Chisa. 
Good morning, Julie. Good morning. Uh, well, the Prime Minister addressed the nation on Saturday night. He's going to speak to the House of Commons today uh, and telling us that basically we has no choice. We have to go into a second lockdown. All the evidence points to that. 4,000 people a day it could be dying in December. We see the overwhelming of the NHS uh, if we don't. Um, you're a professor of evidence-based medicine. What's the evidence for that? Well, look, it's it's a very interesting. What we saw on Saturday was this production of the data from the government coming out, telling us here we're all in doom and gloom again. And we just asked very simple questions like check the data. The first thing, as you've said, is we said these projections are over three weeks ago. And actually what you can see is you can test some of the assumptions because one of them, the worst case scenario, the 4,000 deaths, said by today, yesterday, sorry, the 1st of November, there should have been 1,000 deaths. But actually, we're like, hold on, there's 200 deaths on that day. So actually, it's out by a significant amount already. That invalidates that projection immediately, and that goes out the window. So what's happening here is they make these assumptions on very bits of early data and then don't come back and retest them. But there is a unit in Cambridge who are doing that. They call it nowcasting and forecasting at the MRC unit. And each week they update their estimates. And when they've been doing that over the last three weeks, it continues to come down and down and down. And they'll be doing it again on Wednesday. So I would hold fire right now. I would uh, actually put these projections in the background and go to this system where it says it's much more accurate and the numbers are far lower than them doomsday predictions. Well, they are doomsday predictions, aren't they? Because we know the King's College London oh. Zoe study, one million people reporting weekly. It's the largest national survey of people, whether or not they're testing positive or, or not. And the estimates have always been in line with the ONS survey, another huge survey. Well, their professor of genetic epidemiology, Tim Spector, has said cases have not spiralled out of control. Uh, he says that deaths are average for the season. There's a steady rise, but we are doubling uh, not every four days as we did in March. We're doubling every four weeks. Is that to you an out-of-control, exponentially rising virus and something that needs to be dealt with with something, a sledgehammer, as big as a national lockdown? Yeah, so there's lots of confusion of people giving scare stories about the mass. That all of it is tends to be confusing and lots of it is wrong. What happens at very low numbers is if you've got one case, whatever you do, if it rises, it's going to double. So at these very small numbers, it looks like it's getting out of control. But as soon as you get up into the numbers like you've seen in Manchester now, for about two to three weeks, it has flatlined. And in fact, if you go to Manchester and look at the case data, you'll see it's come down by 20%. So what we've seen in the last seven days, is a flattening of the case data. Now, what's happening here all the time is we intervene. The tier system came in on the 13th of October. It takes about 21 days for that to come through into admissions. But immediately, we get other projections coming out saying it's getting worse and then policy reacts in a confused way and a panicked way and again we're coming in if it was me now again i would hold fire for the next seven days and see what's happening to the data because tim Spector's data the case data is all showing a flatlining at the moment across the board and if we again are going to intervene when actually we should just step back pause and reflect and look at what's happening a lot of us might have a lot of sympathy for politicians who don't have any scientific or, or statistical training trying to read through all of this data and, and of course, uh, you know, different uh, competing different bits of information coming from different sage advisors and the like. However, Professor Chris Whitty and Sir Patrick Vallance, the chief medical officer and the chief scientific advisor, they, they are eminent in their field. They are highly experienced, highly intelligent, highly knowledgeable people. 
Why are they able to look at the same evidence that you're looking at and come to such different conclusions? Well, look, the chief medical officer should come on and explain that to the public because we look at it differently. What we're not interested in is saying to say, what does it look like in January? Our fundamental question is, what is happening? Can we understand what's happening? And that's a crucial issue to being able to say, right, we understand what's happening. We've got a better understanding of what might happen next. I'll give you a good example of that. Three days ago, there was in the case data on the government website, it said there are 1,350 admissions. Well, that looks really scary when you look at that number. The question is, though, how many did it go up by in hospital beds? It only went up by 150 on the same day. So what you're trying to understand is with all of this data, who are in them beds? Why are they in that bed? Is it getting out of control? So we are now going back to the government, working really hard to say you do not understand some of these data. And if you did, you'd be able to provide a much more nuanced approach. Um, you have presented your, your data, your analysis to the Prime Minister twice now. Um, what's his reaction been when you've said, look, actually, things aren't as scary and, and, and out of control as you've been told. Here's the evidence of why we can prove that that is the case. Not a matter of opinion. Proof of where we are now isn't where a lot of predictions were, were saying we would be. Take that um, uh, Sir Patrick Vallance doomsday graph we had on infections uh, back in September. Um, what's the reaction of the prime minister when you present your evidence to him? Well, I think what's happening here is there's a, there's a reaction coming from both sides and it's starting to emerge. There's been too much of a one-sided argument that actually we're just looking at the worst case scenario all the time. We're now starting to see a slow movement forward to try and say, actually, what does the other side of the argument look? And here's an important issue. My job is not to set the policy. My job is to provide the evidence in an evidence-based way to inform the decision-making, to reduce the uncertainty. And what we've seen too much is people deciding on what the policy is and then using the evidence to structure an argument to say this should be the policy. Our job as scientists is not to do that. Our job is to inform, to understand where the inaccuracies are. And that's been missing in this debate. There are much more uncertainties that are being put forward by many scientists. Um, are you questioning the honesty, the integrity of Professor Chris Whitty and Sir Patrick Vallance? No, no, I'm not. What I'm saying is broaden out now, the, and I've been saying this for some time, is they have to broaden out the expertise and the experience in the room. For instance, as we go into these decision making, it's not just about COVID. It's about the economic models that should fit in there. It's about the other critical conditions that should go in there. For instance, over the last four months, we've seen a huge swathe of deaths in own homes, of which 90% are not COVID. So it's about six to 700 excess deaths in their own home that are not being accounted for. And if we have a four more weeks of lockdown, that won't get any better. So what I'm saying now is, actually, in these decisions, there should be not just a COVID model, there should be an economic model, there should be other diseases going into the mix. And when you get put that all together, you can make a balanced decision. An awful lot of this has been driven by testing. We're talking infections are rising. Uh, these are cases, we're told, cases are rising, 22,000 roughly cases uh, most days now. Uh, and most of these, though, of course, are people with no symptoms whatsoever uh, and certainly not people who will even need hospital treatment, let alone ITU or, or, or any risk of death. Um, big question marks have been raised, and I know you were doing this over the summer, about the validity of the testing and how accurate this testing is. When we hear 22,000 people are infected 
infected with COVID, with those latest test results every single day, are those actual COVID infections? So what the test does is it picks up a very small fragment of the RNA, about 20 base pairs out of a huge load of genes. One of the key issues about that fragment is you can shed that fragment when you're infectious, but you can continue to shed it when actually the infection has passed. And in fact, people can shed it for up to 90 days. If you look at them, young, young students who were in Italy, who were there for 40 days, they were shedding viral RNA. One of the key aspects is you can detect the people who are infected if you use the test much more in a scientific but in a clinical way. And one of the key is depends how much of the virus you've got on board. And there's something called the cycle threshold you can use. But at the moment, the way we're using the test in a binary yes, no, is too simplistic. And what's happening is with the test and trace system is we are completely overwhelmed. And that's the problem. Whereas you used it much more nuanced saying who is infectious, they're the people you should be going after, not the people who've had the infection, could have had it three, four weeks ago. And actually those people, you can say, you actually, we don't need to isolate. We know you've got the infection if you've had it in the past, but actually we're not going to focus on you for the test and trace system. So a lot of the people that we're counting in those figures every single day as being infected with the virus are people who've had the virus, they've been infected um, weeks or even months ago. They are not, in that sense... COVID cases. So in effect, what we're saying is there's a fog of data that doesn't allow us to truly understand what's happening at any one time. Many of the systems are picking up people who've had past infection and not identifying those crucially at that infectious stage where you go, you are the person that we need to isolate and you are the person we need to get to your contacts. And that's the crux of the problem right now with the whole system. And if we understood that data, we could give you a much more accurate picture about what's happening with infection. So if we could have this month long lockdown and it was only a month and if it brought down infection rates and so we could then improve test and trace and focus it more. Would this second lockdown, would it save more lives in the long run than if we didn't have a second lockdown? Well, look, the first thing is to say I was speaking to people in Cornwall yesterday and they were saying, look, why are we going into into lockdown? They've got about half a million people in Cornwall and they've got about 40 cases a day, which is one tenth of what we're seeing in the rest of the country. So the first question I have is how cases, how low do they have to go so that we can get out of lockdown? Because people in Cornwall are going, they're pretty low right now. So that's a problem we've got when we go into lockdown. What might happen here in three or four weeks time is we get to a position and people are like, oh, they're not quite low enough. Let's extend it. And we'll see them calls two or three weeks time. That's what they'll say. So that's a problem I have now. So if we're going into these restrictive measures, at least in Wales, they've said, look, November the 9th, we're coming out of it and we're going to see what happens. So that has to be a thought in all the politicians' minds to ensure we do come out of it. The second issue is the harms of lockdown are considerable. And that balance means in the long run, lockdowns create more harm than benefit. So you think that the government's policy is the wrong policy and will cost more lives than it will save? At the moment, I think what I would do is just pause for another week reflect on the data, have some crucial insights into the data. One of the things that drive in it now, which we can't get quite a handle on, doesn't seem to be about the cases or the deaths anymore. The argument is shifting to NHS capacity. We haven't got enough capacity in the system. We're going to be overwhelmed. 
Now, again, the data exists to really understand that. But what you want to know is, for instance, how does it look compared to what normally happens at this time of year? And in terms of the NHS, we have a very no low number of beds per population and we run at about 95% capacity all the time. One of the key crucial errors over the summer was somehow not to increase the capacity for a particular group of people, which are the elderly and the most vulnerable. Because if they go into hospital in a significant way, they can end up in hospital for much longer than younger people who might recover quicker. And we've got a structural problem now saying we haven't fixed capacity. And if we are in this issue now, this should be the urgent sort of item in the next 28 days to have a real debate and say, as we open up, where is that capacity going to come from? Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Online. On DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Richard Tice is a businessman and chairman of the Brexit Party. Uh, late last night, it was announced that they are relaunching as an anti-lockdown party called Reform UK in a move, of course, that uh, might focus the minds of Tory MPs. A good morning to you, Richard Tice. Well, good morning, Julia, and it's great to be with you. Our first interview after we announced the plans to... Uh, rename uh, the Brexit Party as the Party of Reform, Reform UK. And it may be grey outside, Julia, but we're feeling bright and cheery with the incredibly positive, huge response we've had from people overnight. It really has been uh, most welcome indeed. Well, last time uh, you guys decided to form a political party, uh, it was a matter of months uh, in 2019 from the Brexit Party being uh, launched uh, to you winning the European elections. I, I think it is impossible not to argue that this ended up focusing the minds of Tories enough that they ousted Theresa May uh, and put Boris Johnson into into uh, number 10. Uh, and that, of course, led to the election and, of course, Brexit being delivered. Um, what do you hope to achieve this time? Well, obviously, uh, there's a, you know, we've got elections next May. 
Uh, we've got local elections, we've got regional elections in London, in Wales, in Scotland, and we've got all the police and crime commissioners. So uh, there's lots to go for, and we plan to be standing in all of those elections. Uh, but that's a few months away, very short term. We need to work to give confidence, frankly, to uh, the people that there is another way to dealing with the urgent crisis at hand, which is, of course, uh, how to deal with uh, corona and how to respond to it. And in our view, uh, there is another way. There is a better way. It's called the Great Barrington Way. And it was truly disgraceful that the incredible experts, epidemiologists, uh, medics and scientists who launched that, the way that they were uh, abused and attacked by the establishment centred around Imperial College, by MPs at Westminster, when actually the Great Barrington Way is the sensible way forward. It's effectively the sort of approach that has been very successfully adopted in Sweden, that now is not seeing a second wave or a surge in cases and deaths. So we believe that's the right way. And what you do is you focus protection on the most vulnerable, those who need uh, shielding uh, in a really concentrated way. You do that job and do it properly, but then actually with good hygiene, with common sense, the rest of us, we get on with our lives and we build up immunity through the population. And let's remember, of course, Julia, this was the original strategy of the government to build up a level of immunity through the population because you cannot eliminate this virus. You can't get rid of it. We have to learn to live with it. We have to learn not to hide in fear of it, but actually to stand up, to stand tall, to stand confident and to face into it. And for the vast, vast majority, over 99.5% of people who catch the virus, of course, um, actually they survive it with either no symptoms or flu-like symptoms. It is only dangerous for a tiny, tiny minority of people. Those are the people who need focus protection and the rest of us need to get on with our lives. And let's be very clear, Julia, if you have a sick economy, and that's what we face now, you have sick people. If you have a dead economy, if you have a dead economy, Julia, sadly, you have dead people. Why do you think then the polling consistently shows more than 70 percent plus support for lockdown? People wanted to have an earlier lockdown, a bigger lockdown, a deeper lockdown, a longer lockdown, what any version uh, of something bigger. The, the, government, the government has a full support from across the political divide for a lockdown. Why do you think so many people want that when you're saying that it's the wrong thing to do? Well, the truth is, I, I'm very, very sceptical. I always have been of polls. Maybe YouGov, uh, the propaganda arm of the government, are polling civil servants working in the nice, comfy homes, because that's not what I'm hearing uh, out on the streets, out in the pubs, amongst young people. I'm hearing that people are sick to the back of uh, back teeth with this, uh, that they, they don't believe the data, uh, they know there's another way, and, you know, people want some leadership. And... And, you know, we are, Julia, we are a nation of lions and lionesses. And we are sadly not being led by a government and a prime minister who has got the courage to uh, to face into this virus in the proper way, in a balanced way, so that, you know, we can, uh, we can protect the vulnerable, but actually uh, we can make sure that the economy can move forward, that businesses can still survive. You know, we're seeing at the moment, literally with this second lockdown, uh, you know, we're seeing tens of thousands of businesses, small businesses, self-employed, who've been hanging on by their fingertips. Well, those fingernails are being ripped out of their fingers 
as sadly those businesses and those people will just give up. And, and the, the, the millions of jobs that are either at risk or have gone. Um, I, I was really struck yesterday by reports that over 900 people had applied for one job as a waiter in a bar in Manchester. Yeah, a job that's only going to last until uh, 10 p.m. on Wednesday night. Um, let, can I can I ask you because a lot of people have, have tweeted me this when I said that you were going to be on the show, and people were saying, "Well, Richard Tice is a businessman. Richard Tice uh, has money in property in central London. He wants to get rents. He wants people back at work. He doesn't care about people who are dying. He wants people back at work so he can carry on making money. And this is all about your personal business interests, not a principle." What do you say to that? Uh, utter garbage, Julia. Complete nonsense. I don't have any interest in any offices anywhere near any city in the whole of the UK. Uh, my interests are in industrial property where people actually make things. They manufacture things. Uh, they're the people who actually deliver the online orders. And, you know, we have to keep the economy going. You know, I've said it before. If you don't have a healthy economy, you don't have any money to invest in our wonderful uh, doctors and nurses that provide the frontline services. It is as simple as that. You know, we we have to uh, we we have to make sure that we can continue to pay for the public services that people want. The way you do that, folks, is actually by having a healthy economy. And you know, if you've got millions of people unemployed, then the damage to mental health. I'm hearing Julia that more people are committing suicide in London every day than are dying of COVID. We need to put this in perspective. There is no excess deaths going on at this time of the year compared to the normal five-year average uh, here in the UK. And we forecast, Julia, for the whole of 2020, when you adjust for population, actually the total deaths in this year, every death is a tragedy and a sadness, of course, we know that. But in the whole of 2020, it will be an average year compared to the last 30 years, an average year for total deaths. And yet we're shutting down the economy um, and locking people in and damaging their mental health. And it's wrong. There is a better way. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Uh, right now, let's talk to someone else who thinks it's not the right uh, thing to do. Sir Graham Brady, Conservative MP, Chair of the 1922 Committee of Backbench Tory MPs. Uh, good morning to you, Sir Graham. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Um, we were told again and again by the Prime Minister there would not be a second lockdown. Only 11 days ago in the House of Commons, he said this to Sir Keir Starmer. And I may say that it is a bit incoherent of the, uh, the uh, right honourable gentleman opposite to attack uh, local lockdowns when he wants to plunge the whole country, uh, to, the whole country back into a damaging lockdown uh, for weeks on end. And he has no clue about how he would propose to get the country out of that. Right. So now it's official government policy to have a damaging lockdown, Sir Graham. Why? <laughs> well, I, I don't think I'm the person to ask that question, Julia. I uh, don't think it's the right thing to do. Uh, I think you know the huge difference between this time and last time, back in March, is that we have the experience of a long period of lockdown uh, to look at and for, to learn from. And of course, we went into that in March, being told that it was for three weeks, 
uh, that the um, uh, purpose of it was very specific. It was about uh, preventing uh, NHS critical care capacity being overwhelmed. We knew within three weeks that that had been achieved, but there was then mission creep, and we ended up with a three-month lockdown, which is going to cost uh, huge numbers of jobs, many of them already gone, uh, thousands of uh, people unemployed, uh, e even in my own constituency where unemployment has more than doubled uh, already, and that's happening across the country. And we've seen the damaging health and mental health consequences of it as well. We know that uh, this is one of those really difficult judgments, and I don't uh, envy the Prime Minister this, really difficult judgment where whichever course of action you take, lockdown or don't lockdown, there are very serious consequences to it. And yet the Prime Minister is going ahead. He's going ahead, he says, based on this doomsday scenario, 4,000 deaths a day we could be looking at. That, that data has already been completely debunked by the likes of Professor Carl Hennigan, we just spoke to, uh, as a three-week out-of-date data. And uh, if, if that data had been correct, if that scenario had been correct and that computer modelling correct, we would already be at 1,000 deaths a day and we're at 200 deaths a day. So we already know that that is totally invalidated. Why do you th think the Prime Minister is doing this? We're told he's a libertarian. We're told he wants to protect business, that he doesn't want to do these things. Why do you think he's doing it? Well, all, all of these decisions have been uh, taken, uh, both last time and this time, based on modelling and projections. And we all know that you can get different projections and different modelling from different people. Uh, sadly, what we also know is that um, the experience back in March, the lockdown was triggered based on very defective modelling from uh, Neil Ferguson, uh, who uh, had a, a fairly poor track record of predicting the uh, record and, and the future path of uh, epidemics. Um, this time we've had the graph a few weeks ago from Patrick Valance, which he said wasn't a prediction, but was clearly presented on television <clears throat> as though it was a prediction. Uh, and we're nowhere near the uh, trajectory that he was looking at there. This uh, figure for 4,000 deaths a day. If you compare it to what I understand was the case at the peak in the spring in the United States of America with the population five times or six times the size of ours, um, you saw, I think, 2,000 deaths a day at the peak of it in the spring there. So it, it seems intuitively uh, very, very difficult to believe uh, those figures. But none of that is to say that we shouldn't take this seriously. You know, people will die as a result of this, but we need to remember that they die from other things as well. And, you know, in a bad flu year, you might have forty or 50,000 people dying from flu. One of the odd things in this uh, epidemic has been that flu seems almost to have disappeared around the world because COVID-19 appears to have moved into the space that otherwise might be occupied by it. And, so and we don't, are, you know, and we don't lock down every year for a flu pandemic. You've also got uh, concerns right. as, as someone sort of on the, sort of the liberal libertarian wing of the party, uh, of the Conservative Party, that uh, particularly concerns about the, the government ha having such, making such inroads into our private lives. You know, the rules about, you know, households meeting, seeing where you can see your grandparents visit, visiting care homes, uh, people who, girlfriends and boyfriends who live in separate households unable to meet or, or, or or enjoy physical relations and the like. What are your concerns there? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think this is something that ought to concern people, whether they're on the libertarian wing of the Conservative Party or in any other part of the political spectrum. Um, I find it astonishing <clears throat> that we've had 
this really uh, profound interference in people's uh, fundamental human rights and virtually no comment on it uh, from uh, people, especially from mainstream politicians. And, you know, the observation that I've made in, in an article in The Telegraph uh, this morning is that uh, if this was going on in any total totalitarian country in the world, if China was doing this, and actually they probably are, um, we would be condemning it and saying that it was an outrageous uh, breach of fundamental human rights. Uh, we're allowing it to happen here to ourselves uh, without comment. And you know, as you allude, Julia, you know, we are telling people uh, whether they're allowed to see their uh, close families. We're telling people whether they are allowed to go to work and earn uh, a living for their families um, and support them. And we are even telling people uh, who they're allowed to sleep with and when. Um, these are uh, absolutely fundamental uh, liberties. Uh, and you know, whilst I'm all for people exercising responsibility and doing their bit uh, to try to make sure we don't see uh, an excessive spread of this virus, I also think that this is government overstepping the mark. And I simply don't believe that in a free democratic society, uh, the government has the right to tell people um, who they can sleep with uh, when this is a matter for consenting adults. And we really ought to get back to a more um, balanced judgment of the role of government where we uh, get back, I hope, to a, a more traditional British view where we say that government is there to serve the people, not the other way around. And we seem to have fallen into a habit of waiting for a Downing Street press conference uh, so that the Prime Minister can tell each of us uh, how we live our private lives. OK, thank you very much indeed for joining us. You are going to be voting against those measures, Sir Graham. I'm minded to vote against them, uh, but I, I'm certainly going to be asking for uh, a guarantee that this isn't going to be the last vote, that any renewal will be a matter for Parliament, not for government. And I want a detailed impact assessment uh, that makes very clear what the consequences of lockdown are in terms of unemployment, in terms of businesses going bust, in terms of the non-COVID health consequences, and also the mental health consequences of doing it. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.